Good morning, everyone. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me on the phone today is Bill Fraser, who's the city manager in Montpelier, Vermont. Bill, welcome to the show. Good morning, Pat. Thank you for having me. Just seems like yesterday we were talking. (laughs) Well, it was pretty close. (laughs) Tell me something. I was just talking to people here in the studio. Are you the longest serving city manager these days? In Vermont? Yeah. No, um, Stu Heard in Bennington still has me beat. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I, oh. I, I, moved, I did move up the ladder when Bill Shuplick and Carl Rogers retired. Right. So I, I, uh, but no, I am not. I'm not the. I'm not the current uh, dean, and that's fine with me. <laughs> I understand. Uh, but we thank you for your years of service. You've done a great job. Um, you, I, when I was doing research for the show after we talked the other day, you wrote an outstanding article on September 20th. I think it appeared in the Bridge and other places, and it was entitled Post-Flood Communications Improvements, and you provided so much information there, I thought for our listeners we could kind of run through that article and um, and just talk about what's been happening, um, and I just, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. When I went to see you the other day, you took me on a tour. Kudos to you and to your staff. You were dealing with such a mess in City Hall the fire station, the police station, and still managed to to be responsive to the citizens. And I can't commend you enough for all of that because yeoman's work, sir. Well, thank you very much. Um, appreciate that. And, of course, it, it's not just me. We have a great team right. of folks here, and everybody really stepped up to – to do their part to keep us going, you know, we're not, we don't lose sight of the fact that you know we exist to provide services and responses to our residents um, all, all the time, and that's always our most you know sort of top priority is getting ourselves in a position where we can still, you know, uh, well, we didn't have to plow the roads, but still, <laughs> you know, fill potholes, yeah, or, right. or respond to police calls or fire calls or ambulance calls or, you know, do the various things. So the, the, the soonest that we can get ourselves back in operations, yeah. the, the most, you know, that's top priority. Well, it, I was just shocked, and especially what you've got in your, uh, what used to be the uh, uh, the council room. I mean, <laughs> it's just, you can't move in there for the stuff yeah, that's, you know, as, as you saw, those are all the, the sort of various things that came out of the offices that right. are, you know, uh, temporarily, we hope, relocated and, uh, you know, someday will be put back together. We've, we've actually just this week moved our finance office back into oh. what their old, where their old, uh, location was, although, um, we haven't done any, you know, actual permanent changes. We have it's still the the rough floor and, and right. no sheetrock and those kind of things. But you know, hopefully they'll start taking some of their files and cabinets and things out of that's there. True. But yeah, until we until we find really permanent homes for everybody, that's uh, I'm afraid that room's just going to be a, a hoarder's dream. Right. And I forgot the uh, downstairs besides the police, um, you also had the um, uh, what do you call it? The teen room. Um, that was that was destroyed right. as well, and I, that's exactly. always that's always in use. Whenever I go there and park next to the building in the parking lot, there's always lights on, always something happening mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, it's been a great partnership um, with with the Washington County Youth Services Bureau. Um, you know, predates even my time. That teen center existed when I, right. when I got here, and uh, you know, it's it's like anything with a population. It it 
it goes up and down with kind of its popularity, but it's always steady. And yeah, they're they're completely out. In fact, I just heard from them this week. We're going to try to meet. Uh, you know, I, I can't see them moving back in anytime soon. Right. So we've got to figure out. You know, we certainly want to support and provide the teen programming for our, right. our kids. It's a great place for them to go and. Uh just mingle and and yep. um that's a, that's great i i always get impressed whenever i drive in there i'm like yes there's always something going on there it's cool well, you know i think one thing that's interesting about that i know that this isn't really the the purpose of this call but <laughs> um you know people will talk about the number of teens that go there and sometimes it's a lot and sometimes it's not but you know we we sometimes lump young people into some sort of homogeneous group like what do the kids want to do right but you, right. Know, you think about us as adults we don't all want to do the same thing we some of us go to the movies some of us go to restaurants some of us stay home some of us read books you know the, Teens are no different. Right. So, right. you know, there's a whole array of opportunities for young folks in the community, and the teen center is one of them for people, you know, for, for those young people that that, that resonates with. That is a place for them to wait after school. They learn cooking. They learn – they play music. They do art, and it's it's their place to hang out. And, and so it, I think it, it shifts over time based on the, the students that are using it, kind of what their right. goals and desires are. And I think it's a, it's a great place for them. Well, kudos to you all for ho- for hosting that group. I, it's a good, safe place, uh, centralized to the, to the downtown, and it's really cool. So back to your letter. Yeah. We got, got a little off track there, but that's yep, okay. no problem. Sorry. Um, no, no, I'm, I love it. Um, so in the letter, in the article you wrote, you said you're working with FEMA, to address 35 to 45 municipal rebuild projects, at which represented, uh, my note says, $10.5 million. That's a lot of dollars and a lot of repair work. What, besides the city hall and the fire station, what else was in that mix? Um, I will get to that one second. I do want to give... Um Credit to Evelyn Prem, who is our communications coordinator, who did the bulk of writing of that really excellent article. Oh. I proofed it and offered some comments as to content, but really um, it was her piece. So well, I want to make sure she gets the credit. Well, thank she you, Evelyn. That was excellent. Yes. Um, so as far as, as the projects, FEMA characterizes every um, – I don't want to say every little thing, but uh, different events are considered separate projects. So uh, even though it's just 35 to 45 municipal projects, obviously the biggest ones are our physical infrastructure right here in the center of, of the city. Um, right. City Hall by far being the biggest one, but there is damage to police and fire, uh, but they are mostly fully functional. Um, the uh, then there includes some, there was damage to a pump station, a sewage pump oh. station, which is fairly. Uh, there were some water line uh, and and sewer line breaks due to um, you know there was so much going through yeah, them. Pressure. There were some road washouts. Uh, Dog River Field was completely submerged and is filled with silt. Uh, you know, so there yeah. are a number of different items that happened over the course of the community, and every each one, every every culvert washout, every uh, road sinkhole um, is considered a separate project. Oh, okay, right. Because I'm thinking 35 to 45 right. buildings. Whoa. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. They're projects. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Thank you. Thanks for no, clarifying no that. But still, pretty expensive. 10.5. Oh. Absolutely, and Ooh. and and it's a it's a. You know, I mean, I think 
uh, it's an interesting process. You have to document them all, and you get your approval, and you move forward. But really, you're, you know, when I say you're, the city, the community, the local taxpayers, we're forwarding the money for these projects, and then to be reimbursed by FEMA. Uh, and it's a little, it's an interesting situation because, uh, you know, we, I mean, 10.5 million is almost our whole budget, <laughs> you know, for a year, right. and so have that kind of cash on hand to upfront this money requires, you know, we're working with our lenders and those kind of things to try to make sure we can do this. And you have some sense of what you might get back, but you don't know for sure. And you also don't know uh, the state, um, to their credit, uh, also kicks in a share of FEMA pays 75% and the state pays, depending on circumstances, as much as the remaining 25% are as low as none of it. So there's, you know, somewhere between zero and 25% the state's paying. And you don't really know this. So it's a little bit of a leap of faith. You've got to go ahead and do this work. Right. And you got to front the money, but you don't really know how much you're getting back. Oh, well, let's keep tag of that. No, um, absolutely. We, have, sure. we are exactly. watching every nickel of it. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we've got our finance department is right on top of it. Bill, in, in this article, um, there was a discussion about how your staff conducted an after-action review, which is so important to do, and I commend you for that. Um, I've been involved in those uh, once or twice over the years in state government because you tend to forget uh, over time. So, And one key area, which I thought was very interesting, the staff focused on public communication. Could you kind of expand a little bit on that process? Yeah, that was a really interesting outcome of, of the the event, you know, we have really geared up our communications efforts over the last couple of years, including, you know, bringing Evelyn, who I just mentioned, on board. And um, we utilized some existing resources such as uh, VT Alert and uh, some networks that Montpelier Alive had and, and sent out, you know, we thought, and I think I think we're comfortable with what we did, but, we, you know, we sent about 22 messages before the flood. And we had, you know, posted regular messages during the flood about what was going on. But then we got feedback that people saying they hadn't heard from the city. Right. And we, you know, we kind of debriefed that with a lot of people. And it, it, it seems like, you know, the messages coming from VT Alert, um, it wasn't clear that those were city-generated messages. And we, uh, you know, Montpelier Alive has a great email network for the downtown businesses. So it was very efficient for us. We would just send our message to Montpelier Live and they'd forward it to their business network. And so the businesses all thought they were sort of getting messages from Montpelier Live when they were really uh, city messages. And, you know, from our perspective, as long as people were getting messages and were, you know, responding accordingly, um, that was what really mattered. But it was interesting to hear after the fact, people say, you know, how come the city never notified us of anything? And like, you know, we sent out loads of notices. We <laughs> So one of the things that we've tried to debrief is how do we, you know, I mean, it shouldn't matter how you brand your message in, in, in an emergency, but how do we make sure that people know where to get city information? You know, we tried everything. We would try Front Porch Forum. We tried Facebook. We put, you know, put stuff everywhere we could think of. We sent out press releases. We sent out Vermont alerts. And, you know, maybe the scattershot approach was good, but one of the things we heard was, well, should, there should be one place. And, of course, we, like most communities, have adopted the VT Alert system, which right. is great. The state manages that, and we've tried to tell people, you know, that's the place. You should be signed up for these alert systems. That's where we're going to tell you that there's an emergency, um, and we will also supplement it with other places. But anyway, it was still, 
you know, I think w- when people have that perception, then that's their reality, and it, we need to. So we spent a lot of time trying to peel back that onion to understand what did we do, how can we do it so that it's clear that it's from the city, and how can we uh, proactively try to get people to know that what to do and to sign up for VT alerts and to sign up for email alerts and those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah, I can I can support the uh, signing up for VT alert. I had them on the show a while back and I signed up immediately. And and while and and what's interesting, people should know you can you can um, identify the areas you're interested in, so you don't get messages from someplace you know that you don't live far away, Bennington, Brattleboro. You get you get right here in Central Vermont, and I I just thought that's an amazing um, system, and everybody should have it. It's a very um, excellent system. Yeah. I think just to expand on that a little bit, not only can you uh, sort of select where, the area you want to get notices from, you can select the level of notices you want to get. Because they send out everything from, you know, traffic alerts right. to other So you can select, I only really want, you know, big, right. big emergencies or, you know, everything. Huh. And the other thing is, um, you can choose to get them by phone, by text, by email. Um, so, or all three. So you can choose the media by which you receive the messages. And if you don't have, um, a smartphone or any kind, you know, computer or that kind of thing, you can still call them and set up and they, you'll get a phone call on your landline. So it is not limited to just folks, you know, with technological capacity. Uh, so it's a pretty robust system. Yeah. And then, uh, one last plug for this, uh, you can, the, the city and any other user, not just the city, not just Montpelier, any other user of the city, but we have the ability to what they call geofence. And so when we have a, a, a more limited, like a, a water main break in a neighborhood, we could literally draw a line around a map, and it only notifies us the people in that within oh, that excellent. loop. So you know we have to tell the whole city, hey, you know, traffic's rerouted on this one street for a water break or something, or we're having an emergency on this particular street. We can do it citywide if we choose, but we can also just localize it. So it's, it's wonderful technology. Yep. It, is def- it, it is the statewide adopted emergency alert system, and we cannot uh, encourage people enough. You can go to our website, uh, www.montpelier-vt.org, and you can sign up for, for, for VT alert there. You can go to the VT alert website and sign up for it. You can call them. Um, highly encourage people to do that. That's great. You you uh, gave me some information I didn't know either about the system, so thank you for that. I'm going to go back and uh, maybe adjust one or two of my uh, my Your choices settings. there. <laughs> exactly. That's great. And I really do, seriously, people, anybody who's listening, sign up for this. It's it's excellent. And it worked with for me. I was in Maine a lot this summer, and I just knew what was going on in my backyard, which was good. So anyway, so this, uh, as Evelyn continues in this memo here, she talked about the city's crisis communication team, response team, which is CCRT. That is an excellent idea. How did you, uh, how did that come about? That's great. Uh, that was something we had created pre-flood, uh, and, uh, really give credit to Evelyn. She, she realized that that was a good need. So basically that can, includes people from all of our major departments, um, that are not necessarily the top department heads who are often right. being pulled in other directions. So there's a, you know, a, a sergeant or a corporal from the police department. There's a lieutenant from the fire department. There's, you know, key admin people. 
and it's it's so they in DPW so they can communicate with each other. They've got a they've got a system set up, and because those people are trained in posting the VT alert notices. And they're also trained in getting information out. So they, they can rotate to make sure that there's always someone sort of up and on duty if we need an alert. And then they can communicate with each other about, you know, we need to get this information out. What are you, what are you seeing? What's coming from your department? Uh, and so they were very effective during the flood and uh, continue to work on how they can improve uh, for future uh, major events, but also minor, you know, events. What, you know, there are, there are, all sorts of emergencies and how do we need to co- communicate about them? That's a that's a really um, a great um, idea because people they just like to hear a human voice telling right. them things and they feel a little bit more calm than the you know than a uh, automated uh, voice message. So mm-hmm. I can relate to that. You, I mean, you've done so much, Bill. You also uh, issued a flood feedback survey mm-hmm. uh and again communications was was a big issue and it turned out that facebook front porch forum montpelier live shout out to katie trouts by the mm-hmm. way vt alert and basic text and email are the the top five um but they but people actually came up with uh where is that number 11 yeah 11 ways to communicate so i i uh, i thought i was i was struggling after those top five but um right uh, and they they asked about um, you know prove visibility of city leadership, which is hard in an emergency because you're right. pulled a thousand ways to Sunday. Um, anything you want to talk about? Um, sure. So I think you know that really does bring out um, the human touch that you talked right. about, um, and I think there were a couple of uh, things that people knew and didn't and didn't know. Uh, so it, it was it's interesting to us that people identified a, a wide array of communication systems and we you know we did try to use a lot of them on the other hand some of the feedback we got was there were too many we oh. wish there were you know one single place to go so we're trying to evaluate that like if we you know if we really tell everyone okay this is how you're going to get notices um, then they go to the other 10 places and like there was nothing there yeah, right. so uh, you know we're, we're, we're trying to walk that line you know, I think as far as the, the issue about city leadership, I think that's to some extent valid. And some extent, I think people not uh, understanding everybody's role. Um, and part of that stemmed from uh, the the uh, emergency hub that was established on Main Street. Uh, right. Was really staffed by city employees. And uh, but we, it, it, and again, this is taking nothing away from Montpelier Alive and Katie Trouts. They did just Herculean work. Right. Uh, but she's a, basically a one-person operation. But they did lend us their tents. So all the tents that were there were labeled Montpelier Alive. And so I think there was just a understandable perception that Montpelier Alive was running that whole volunteer hub operation, and they were certainly there helping. Um, but really, we repurposed the entire city parks department. And the Montpelier Youth Conservation Corps, which is a summer yep. uh, employment project program for kids to work in parks, they were the ones, you know, mucking out basements, moving supplies around. I mean, they were these were paid city employees that were were doing all this work. So I, I think to some extent, the city didn't get the recognition for being as active, hands-on in the flood res- response as we actually were. But I also think there was a, a bit, you know. It goes to the human touch, and I think people just wanted to see the mayor and the city council members and right. me walking around, talking to people. And I, you know, I know we did some of that. I, I 
the first couple of days went to every business downtown and popped in on them and checked and, t- and attended their regular meetings. But, you know, I think people, they just want someone to yep. make sure they're okay and, and yeah. someone to complain to. And, and that is not, I don't say that lightly. That's important. People need to, to feel like they're being heard. I, that's exactly what I was going to say. People just want to be heard. Um, we're going to have to take a, a break in just a few minutes. We're going to keep chatting here, but then it's going to be a little bit longer break than usual. I wanted to jump, speaking of being heard, um, there were three recovery and resilient, resilient, that's a hard word, <laughs> resilience forum uh, led by Paul Costello. And I had Paul, I also had Ben Doyle on, who's mm-hmm. taking the next step, which is um, about the Flood Recovery Commission. They've got 15 members, I believe, and they've got they've got a task ahead of them to take. And I I, I listened to the first forum up at the college, mm-hmm. and just what you were saying, people just I, you could feel them looking a little bit better because they were being heard mm-hmm. and they had an opportunity to be part of the solution and to give uh, tell what happened to them and. Oh, it was hard to listen to, I must say, especially I was sitting high and dry and not uh, very blessed that um, I wasn't uh, wasn't part of that. But I, I felt so bad for everybody; it was terrible. Um, so they're taking all that all those that feedback, and then this commission will start to uh, boil it down a little bit into what can be done. Um, from a, a, a variety of um, uh, reasons, financially, just plain, is it going to work and what will happen? Um, are you'll be involved in all of those discussions, I'm assuming? Yes. Yeah, that's great. So, what, so we'll talk about that when we come back? Is that? Uh, yes, we will. We will ah, talk beautiful. about it. And uh, I, I think, and people have an opportunity to go online and to put in their comments. I actually, after the first um Forum, I, I added my own two cents. Heaven forbid I not involve myself, but, uh, <laughs> but over the years, uh, cause I was involved in the 1991 flood when I worked for state government and, um, I, I like down in the basement where you had the flood line from 1991 and how much higher was this flood line? I, about a two feet maybe? Oh, easily, yeah. Easy, yeah, cause that was rather stark watching mm-hmm. that. One thing is always important to me when I worked in state government and wherever else is disaster preparedness. And it is so important, even when things are going well, to prepare because it just gives you a sense of security. And you were talking about creating uh, some information on the website dedicated to uh, emergency management, continuity of operations, the emergency management plan. Um, is that something um, you, well, of course, you've got it now, so you can go back and, and uh, see how it all worked. Yeah, so, um, I, you know, there are a couple of, of aspects to that. One is, you know, how do you maintain the uh, viability, functionality of your own uh, organization and the services you're providing? I mean, that obviously in, in, in an emergency is the most important thing. We're here to deliver help to our residents and our community, and we need to make sure we can continue to do that over a short or a long term. And then there's, you know, kind of how do you assist the community with with planning and responding, and that, that leads to the sort of volunteer network that we created at the Hub and those kinds of things, like how do you how do you leverage resources that go beyond just city government response? And how do you provide information for people? Um, you know, I think, again, people, some of it is, is steering 
folks to uh, existing information, you know, VEM, Vermont Emergency Management, uh, actually has a really good uh, resource on their website about, you know, flood water and what to do if you have flood water and how to manage and how to how to check your building and best practices and those kinds of things. So some of that is how do we get people to that or how do we, you know, re-amplify that, put that information on our own sites and get it out to people and and encourage people to do their own pre-planning. I mean, um, you know, probably it's a good idea if everyone had some understanding of, you know, where the river is in relationship to their residents and right. how they might get out in, if there was a circumstances and what part of their home or area might be uh, vulnerable and to, you know, think about how that affects their utilities and those kinds of things. So, you know, but from the city's perspective, going back to the beginning, the continuity of operations plan, we've worked really hard on that over the years and we update it a lot. Uh, and in this particular case, uh, we ended up using quite a bit of it. Uh, basically, what we had planned for and trained for were a couple of an inevitable, a couple of eventualities. One was, uh, dispatch, having a problem with our dispatch center and our emergency operations center, EOC we call it. Those are yep. all housed in our, our um, police department, ah. which is, of course, downtown. The building itself is just out of the floodplain, but it's, you know, right up next to it. And uh, it still took water in, you know, from the back, uh, from the rain and coming off the hillside. So it, it was still compromised. So we... Uh, we had trained and we actually put into practice that night moving the dispatch center and the EOC Perfect. up to our water treatment plant in Berlin, which sits up on high ground. Right. And um, like I said, we had practiced that in the past and we did it live uh, during the flood. In fact, two things happened that people may or may not be aware of. One is that the city of Barrie had their center flooded out at their, at their public safety building. So they moved their dispatch center to Montpelier. Uh, and because of some of the advancements we've made over the years in connectivity and, you know, uh, making sure we have similar technology, those kinds of things, they were able to come in and, and continue their Barry City dispatch system and all their customers. And then at about four in the morning, we realized oh. probably wasn't a good idea for any of us to be staying in the police station just in case. <laughs> so we moved both dispatch centers as well as our emergency operations center up to the water treatment plant. And in the course of doing all of that, did not miss a single emergency call. Wow, Bill. Kudos and, to everybody. Uh, and um, we were actually sending out information. And you may recall there was a – we got information about uh, – the Wrightsville Dam reaching its capacity. Right. And literally the last message I sent out from the police station was that message about Wrightsville. In fact, they were waiting for me like, Bill, come on, we got to go. And I'm like, I got to finish this message. <laughs> sent it out and up we went up to the hill and um, we, we were able to set everything up. We had the right technical people on place, in place, and uh, it all worked. What we learned from that are, are ways to make that work better, what kind of plugs right. we should have, what kind of Internet system we should have up there. So it worked, and now as part of our, our debrief and, and, and you know, the after-action report is what, what do we actually need to have in place in that building so it could work even better. Okay. Similarly, our plan for uh, relocation of City Hall offices had been to go to the Senior Center on uh, 58 Berry Street. And uh, that's what we did. Once the down, once the basement was flooded out, and the upstairs was, 
you know, had its damage. We moved finance, Montpelier Alive, Community <laughs> Justice Center, and the Planning and Development Great. Department all to the Senior Center uh, into two activity rooms. And naturally, that led to some pushback about the loss of the activity <laughs> rooms. But uh, that was our plan, yep. and we, you know, we now have pretty much everybody out of there, you know, as we've had a little time and got this building back to where the air quality is such that that folks can reoccupy their old offices and the police station actually has uh, given up their community room space, which is where our EOC is and our planning uh, office is located in there now. So we've re we reestablished those those activity rooms in the senior center after you know two or three months. So uh, we had a plan, we followed it, and it worked. Good for and, you, kudos. Uh, and um, and then what we do is uh, update it after these events. And you know what can we do? What could we have done better? What could have worked smoother? Yeah. How could we have done this? So that's what we're working on now. That's great, awesome. Uh, we have a Bill from Montpelier on the phone. Um, Bill, go ahead. You've got Bill Fraser on. Hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay. Before I go any further, you were telling us how, how long you've been, been. I like what you're saying, and that's why I'm calling. But first of all, many, many, many years ago, you had, Montpelier had a, um, a city manager named Bernie Dubay. You might never heard his name, but for um, this was back in the, in the late 60s, 1960 to 19. Um, uh, no, not 1960. Is that Roland Dubay? Bernie Dubay, his wife's name was Burl, and I worked with her at banking and insurance in Montpelier. Bill, I'm not meaning to interrupt, but we've got to go for a break soon. Do you have a, a quick question for Bill or comment? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I live here in the north end uh, of town, and there are a whole bunch of people who are, didn't get flooded, but are very, very concerned. I've talked to most of them, and they're really, really, really concerned. And some of them have been, uh, lived places like um, the, the Pioneer Apartments, where these people, there are people who are very, they're kind of sick. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, the yep. ones that are the most. Yep. And I would like to be able to talk to you. Now, I left my phone number okay. here at the station, and if you could... Uh, uh, give me a call. And I'd be happy to okay. talk about this. I'm sure Bill will follow up. Bill's got to leave in just a minute or two. Um, we didn't get to talk about the grand opening celebration held two weeks ago, which I think was just a, an amazing shot in the arm um, for everybody who's been working so hard. Uh, businesses uh, are open. Some are still closed, obviously, and uh, I've, I've heard about one or two that will be opening next week. Um, and the other question I had wanted to ask, and maybe we could follow up at some point, or you've got so many projects on the books, Bill. Yeah. Big, big ones. You've got the Country Club Road Project, uh, my favorite, the proposed city park garage, and a few other things. I, You've got your hands full. Yeah, I mean, so um, we do, and, and you know, we're slowly uh, – Moving back to uh, you know our previously scheduled uh, programming uh, after <laughs> after the flood interruption, um, and you know many of our projects have been put on hold right. uh, because of our reshift in focus to the flood and also do the financial hit that the city is taking. I think probably worth mentioning in the last couple minutes that we have, but we are we're probably going to have about a one and a half million dollar hit to oh. our 
our budget this year because of lost revenues and expenses and those kinds of things. So nice. we're, you know, so that has required us to cancel some projects or delay them and same with equipment purchases. And we've had hiring freezes uh, for empty positions trying to make up that gap. Wow. Uh, actually presenting a revised, uh, I guess the state would call it the budget adjustment uh, to yep. the, the council next week about uh, – some changes we need to make to to try to stay uh, you know whole this in this current fiscal year. Well, um, I so, yeah, so it's definitely sh- a juggling act with, yeah. with a lot of you know people want to see things moving forward and in 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 many respects would like to see them move forward faster because it would be a nice shot in the arm for the community. But we're we're really uh, not don't have the capacity or no. the financial resources to do that. Well, and you're juggling so many things. So kudos to you, Bill. I can't praise you enough. You <laughs> and your staff. And the city of Montpelier, the fire department, the uh, the police department, everybody. See if you can get them that exercise room they want right there. Uh, there we go, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Bill Fraser. I really appreciate the time you spent with us. Know you've got to run. And I thank you very much. Thank you for having okay. me, Todd. It's always good to talk to folks about uh, our our wonderful community. And that you have. Thank you very much. All right. Okay. Bye. So joining us now uh, in the 10 minutes before the uh, our break. Uh, we have Brianna Summer Fenton, who is uh, from FEMA. She asked to come on for a few minutes to talk about some updates. So, Brianna, you're there. Hi, Pat. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Great. How about yourself? Good. Thank you. Keeping busy listening to Bill Fraser and all the stuff that's going on in Montpelier. That'll keep oh, you yes, busy. A lot is yeah. going on. <laughs> so we've got about uh, eight minutes or so, ten minutes to talk about updates of FEMA. You want to just take over and just gab away? Yeah, perfect. So FEMA has recognized that we've been getting continuous eligible applicants on a daily basis. And based on the state's analysis, um, the state has requested um, to extend the FEMA assistance registration. And FEMA has approved that. So the deadline is now October 31st. So survivors now have um, less than two weeks left to apply for FEMA assistance. So if you had storm-related expenses and are a homeowner or renter whose primary residence was affected by the July 7th through 21st storms in one of the nine designated counties, you should apply as soon as possible. Um, FEMA assistance may be able to help financially through grants for temporary housing, home repairs, and other disaster-related needs. And um, the ways to apply are online at disasterassistance.gov. You can download the FEMA app and register on your smartphone or tablet. You can call 800-621-3362, or you can visit your nearest disaster recovery center where FEMA representatives are on-site and available to help assist survivors with registering, um, checking on their application status, uploading documents needed to support their case, and as well as submitting appeals. And at this moment, we have two disaster recovery centers open, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. These centers are located at the Barry Auditorium. Um, It has moved to the third level. And um, we also have a center at the Ludlow Community Center, which is open until October 21st. Um, So as these resources are available, I highly recommend that survivors um, do go there just to get that in-person help. Um, But it is not mandatory to go as well because you can 
go online to disasterassistance.gov, or you can also just call the helpline number at 800-621-3362. And while we still have a little bit of time left, yep. I also just wanted to mention um, if you have received a FEMA letter, it's really important that you read the letter carefully as it will explain in detail about your case and how to appeal a FEMA decision. Um, so we recommend that applicants should begin their appeal within 60 days um, because they have 60 days from the date of each letter to appeal. And um, we are aware that many Vermont residents are still waiting for their contractor's estimate or even waiting for their insurance claim to be processed. And we just want applicants to know that you don't have to wait. Um, whether you're waiting for your insurance, make sure that you apply for FEMA assistance. Don't wait. And then if you are appealing and waiting on that contractor's estimate um, in the appeal, just explain why you're appealing and explain what you're waiting for in that letter and just try to provide all the documents that you have now. Um, so, for example, in your appeal letter, um, just state that you were unable to get a quote within 60 days and that you have filed a claim, but you're still waiting on a response. And when you receive that um, estimate or that insurance settlement, um, you could reach out to FEMA and um, upload the documentation to support your case. So it sounds like the important thing is to file, even if it's not complete, right? To exactly. get your name in the system so that they know um, that there'll be more information coming and that you can have a successful conclusion to your application. And the exactly. uh, the original date for a deadline was October 12th. It's now been moved to October 31st. And I remember hearing that the governor said that just file because that uh, amount of, of uh, damage that you're reporting will actually go towards um, determining how much um, help we can get from FEMA in dollars. So, uh, Brianna, I want to thank you for coming on the show um, a few times here during this uh, disaster and uh, just being available to everybody for um, answering questions. And I'm sure um, – where's your, where's your next assignment? Do you know or are you – I don't know yet, but um, yeah, at this moment, I'll still be in Vermont for oh. um, another month or so. Oh, so. good. Well, That's great. just me personally, though. But okay. FEMA will still be in Vermont, and um, if any applicants have any confusion or unsure along the way um, with the recovery process, just please keep in touch with FEMA and call that helpline number 800-621-3362 and we're here to help assist survivors every step of the way because we just want to make sure that the recovery process continues moving forward and Excellent. that they're getting the help that they need. Thank you very much Brianna. I really appreciate uh, your keeping in touch with us and coming on the air. Um, we will uh, hope you've, uh, I know you've been very busy and it's been probably stressful, but at least we've got nice color this year. So uh, yes, <laughs> when yes. you're driving, you can appreciate the, the fall color. It's not quite as snappy as it's been in years past, but still there. Anyway, uh, uh, this beautiful is beautiful to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. That's great. All right. Well, nice to talk to you. Thanks for following up with thank us. Thank you. Okay. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Stay tuned because I have Tracy DeVarney who is the Vermont State Lead Ambassador for the American Cancer Society. We haven't talked about this much, but uh, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so I'm looking forward to talking to Tracy. And uh, we'll see you on the return from the break. Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint. Music. 